Last Wednesday night for the summer, we'll pick back up in the fall on Wednesday night. My intention uh, as we do this and we move through the Bible, and I said this from the beginning, when we finish Genesis, we're going to go to Exodus. Just making sure y'all knew what the next book of the Bible was. Um, when we finish Genesis, we're going to go to Exodus. Uh, on Sunday mornings, obviously, in preaching the Word, we jump from sometimes Old Testament, New Testament, to different places. I find it fun here on Wednesday night just to keep right on going. And what we find, I think, when we do that is we hit on these stories that, like I said, some, some of y'all have told me that you hadn't really looked at since you were in, you know, uh, uh, discipleship training or some other deal, Sunday school back when you were younger. And so you hit on some of these we don't always hit on. And so we're going to keep right on going. So my goal here is to get us right up to the end of Genesis tonight, which basically is chapter 48 roughly. And you may think, well, there's two more chapters. But those last two chapters, 48, well, three, 48, 49, and 50, are all of Jacob blessing his sons and kind of setting up. So at the end of 47, they are settled in Egypt. They're settled there in Goshen, right? And so they're settled in Egypt. And then Jacob blesses the sons. And, and so that'll be a good, really actually, a good starting point for us as we pick this back up to jump into Exodus, um, understanding that blessing, what's coming now, and then seeing how God has made his people into a great nation, fulfilling the promise, ultimately, that he said to Abraham in some aspect. So all of that to be said, as we saw this past Sunday, whatever the case may be, as we saw this past Sunday from 2 Timothy chapter 3, all Scripture is breathed out by God, right, and, and, and profitable for us to have the man of God to be equipped for every good work, reprove, rebuke, Encouragement, all of those things come to it. So, in every way, while some passages are clear and have strong, powerful uh, truths found in them in that one single place alone, we know that all of this is working toward the goal of pointing us to Jesus Christ. And so, we want to make sure that we are familiar with it all. And so that's the, the whole purpose behind this. So we'll look at Genesis tonight. We'll, we'll continue the story where we left off from last week is in chapter 47. There really verse 13, Joseph finally, uh, no, excuse me, I'm sorry, where did I say? 45, verse 4. I, I, I went ahead and gave us two more chapters on this deal, but 45 verse 4 is where we finished off where Joseph and his brothers, finally Joseph uh, reveals himself to his brothers and he gives that, that invitation, come near to me, please. They came near. He said, I'm your brother Joseph, uh, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here for God sent me before you to preserve life. Joseph in this demonstrates his character in every way. Even through the tests that he gave to his brothers, Joseph was not seeking to be hard or, or just seeking to be obtuse in this or rubbing their nose in it. He was using the test to make sure his brothers have changed. Where was their heart? Would they sell out Benjamin like they sold him out? 
And so ultimately they pass the test. Judah himself, the one that sold Joseph, steps up on behalf of Benjamin and says, I'm not selling him out. Take me instead of you. This causes Joseph to become overwhelmed with emotion for his brothers now have their heart has changed and they're before him. And so as you see all of this laid out in the providence of God, you've got to also add into the fact that there's a famine in the land that people are dying from and God in his providence has used Joseph to provide not only for the Egyptian people and all of the nations as it says, right? So all the nations are coming to him for food, but he's also providing for ultimately his family, his brothers. God is sustaining them and providing them through what seems like this chain of events that maybe is happenstance or chance. But what we know is in reality there is no happenstance or chance. That God is in control of all things. And whenever Joseph was sold into slavery, God was still in control. And whenever he was sold to Potiphar's house and falsely accused by Potiphar's wife, God was still in control. Whenever he was thrown into prison, God was still in control. And whenever the cupbearer and the baker got thrown in there with him, God was still in control. And whenever he faced before Pharaoh, God was in control of all of it. And Joseph, in his character, has quickly given all glory and credit to God. His understanding of the dreams, his interpretations, God has given me these things. All glory goes to God. And now Joseph finds himself as the prince of Egypt, if you will, the one who is second in command just under Pharaoh, but has all authority and power, power under Pharaoh. He has now provided for his family. This family, as we saw last week, has seemingly now come to their senses in some sense of conversion to understand that they were wrong in what they've done and they have shown a new heart, if you will. And Joseph is overwhelmed with this, and he gives that invitation that we love to hear, come near to me. The same invitation, of course, Christ Jesus gives to us. Even though we have sinned against him, even though we turned against him, he says, still says, come near to me. And so that's where we have it. If you read down in that section, Joseph's main concern, he says quickly, he tells them, uh, verse 9, he says this over and over again, Joseph lets them know God has done this. Verse 7, uh, God sent me before you to preserve you a remnant on earth and to keep alive, uh, keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. Do y'all see what Joseph's saying? Even though they sold him into prison, God has done this, right? They're still responsible, but God is in control. And so ultimately... He says, God's done this. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Hurry, verse 9, go up to my father and say to him, thus says your son Joseph, God has made me lord of all of Egypt. Again, the invitation, come down to me, do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen. You shall be near to me and you and your children and your children's children, your flocks, your herds, all that you have. There I will provide for you. For there you are five years of famine to come. So you and your household, all that you have, do not come to poverty. And now your eyes see and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see that it is my mouth that speaks to you. You must tell my father of all my honor in Egypt and of all that you have seen. Remember at the beginning, uh, Joseph is speaking to them in, in um, Egyptian 
And so he's using an interpreter, but now he says, you're hearing this from my mouth. He begins to speak to them in Hebrew, their language, and he says all of these things, convincing them that it's him. Hurry, bring my father. Joseph's concern ultimately is for his father. He fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept and wept upon his neck, and he kissed all his brothers and wept upon them. After this, his brothers talked with him. So you can see the reunion that takes place crying, weeping, everything's incredible. We can't believe how this happened. Let's talk about it. And so they're comparing notes. They're doing all of those things and all of it's, all of it's going on here. As we said last week, this scene is really incredible. The intensity of the moment, the building up of it, and then ultimately the reunion that takes place. And we see that forgiveness, right? We see that forgiveness. And in Joseph, you can see his character. He doesn't turn to anger. He doesn't just, he, he doesn't set aside his emotions, right? He's not acting just emotionless. He's weeping. He's crying. He has emotions all in this. But he doesn't let any of it get to anger toward his brothers. He never lets that happen. And he has this willingness ultimately to forgive, to forgive them of what they have done. He resists revenge. He's not returning evil for evil. He's wishing them well. He's not wishing them ill. He's grieving over their calamities. He's upset about it, but he's also giving glory to God. He's ultimately praying for their welfare and for their best. So you see Joseph's forgiveness is holistic in this. He's not holding it against him. He's not looking for revenge. He's hoping for their best and for their good. And all of this, all of this is pointing toward forgiveness and what it may even look like. Pharaoh hears about what's going on. Joseph's brothers have come. It pleased Pharaoh and his servants. Pharaoh's happy. Joseph's happy. Joseph's made Pharaoh a rich man anyway. So he says, say to your brothers, do this. Load your beasts. Go back to the land of Canaan. And take your father and your households and come to me, and I will give you the best of the land of Egypt. Give you the best of the land of Egypt, and you shall eat the fat of the land. And you, Joseph, are commanded to say, Do this, take wagons from the land of Egypt for your little ones, for your wives, and bring your father and come. Have no concern for your goods, for the best of all the land is yours. In other words... Joseph's brothers left out walking with a knapsack over their shoulder, and they're going to pull back up at their father's house in the limousine. Y'all know what I'm talking about? So they left out with nothing. They're coming back with gifts. and You ain't going to believe what happened, Pops. You know what I mean? That's what's happening in this scene. He's blessing them. And so you see Joseph's faithfulness is now bleeding over into his brothers, right? They don't deserve it. It's Joseph. Again, this story is dripping with images of Christ Jesus himself. For we are like those who don't deserve the good things, right? We don't deserve the richness of it. But we show back up after having met Christ in the limousine saying, you're not going to believe what has happened to me. The blessings of Christ drip over and bleed over onto us. And Paul says, it's like the riches of heaven have been poured out on our heads. And so that's what it is. And so Joseph has been faithful. God has blessed because of Joseph's faithfulness, which bleed over into the care for his brothers, bringing them into the land, and the blessing is there. 
So those of us who were children of God, we are welcomed into the family as brothers and sisters, not because of what we have done, but because of what our Savior has done for us. And the blessings of our Savior have been won on our account and bleed over into us. So we can say that all the promises of God are ours, all of the joys of heaven are ours, all of the riches of goodness, as Paul says, are ours because of Christ, right? Again, this story is dripping with pointing us to Christ Jesus. Joseph then does this. He does exactly what Pharaoh says. The sons of Israel did so. Joseph gave them wagons, according to the command of Pharaoh, gave them provisions for the journey. To each and all of them, he gave a change of clothes. But to Benjamin, he gave 300 shekels of silver and five changes of clothes. That's his brother. You know what I'm saying? And he's sitting there thinking, you know, back in the day, I got, I got a really nice coat from my dad. It was a coat of many colors. And I want to bless you, Benjamin. You didn't maybe get that coat. Um, to his father, he sent as follows, 10 donkeys loaded with the good things of Egypt, 10 female donkeys loaded with grain, bread, and provision for his father on the journey. Then he sent his brothers away, and they departed. You know what he said to them? Y'all act like you got some sense, is what he said, basically. I don't know, that's how my grandma made, you know, every time we left, that's how she ended it. Y'all act like you got some sense. Y'all don't fight on the way back, right? This is, this is, this is joyous. We celebrate this. Y'all don't quarrel on the way. Don't fight over it. In other words, I'm given uh, and, and recognize what Joseph has done. We've seen this favoritism before. In fact, he showed the favoritism to Benjamin before when he gave him five times a helping, right? And so part of that test uh, was the fact that, God, uh, that, that uh, jo uh, Jacob had shown favoritism to Joseph. His brothers got angry and mad about it. And now he's showing favoritism to Benjamin, his, his brother, and he's saying, y'all don't fight about this. All of us will get blessing. All of us will be blessed. Not one of you are going to miss out on the blessing of God Benjamin's just getting a little bit more right now. And so ultimately, he says, that's fine, don't fight about it. So they went up out of Egypt, came to the land of Canaan, to their father Jacob. Now we're moving to the next scene. We got the brothers who have, who have been united, given the goods. Now they're heading back, and now it's time to bring dad back, you know, um, and go to Jacob. And they told him, Joseph is still alive. Now, that in and of itself is a revelation to Jacob that he never believed he would hear. He was dead. They brought back the bloodied jacket, coat. They told him he was killed, right? They didn't even tell him he was sold into slavery. They told him he was dead. Joseph is still alive. That's good. That's huge. Well, then they follow it up with, and he's the ruler over the land of Egypt, well, my goodness, now, what in the world? Not only is Joseph alive, he is the ruler over Egypt. He's the ruler over Egypt. Egypt has not been friendly to Jacob and his family, if you remember, right? If you remember back with Abraham, if you remember back with others, Egypt has never been a friendly, friendly partner in any of this. How is it that Joseph's over this? So ultimately what happened? His heart becomes numb. He didn't believe him, believe them, and who could blame him? Who would believe? I mean, not only are they saying he's still alive, he's the ruler of Egypt. That's about as crazy nonsense as we can possibly imagine for him to hear. 
But again, it speaks to what is impossible in our mind to conceive as what God can bring about, right? We can't conceive of some of these things that God can do. And that case is the case for all of us. I would hesitate to say that there may be some in this room that some of your family members would never have conceived or believed that you would trust in Christ Jesus as your Savior. Turn your life around and become one that seeks to glory and honor Him. Become one that seeks to bring blessing and, 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 and strength to others and edify others. Some of y'all, some of them will say, no, there ain't no way that person will turn around. But that's why we as Christians believe God can change every heart in life, right? There's not one person outside of the grace and mercy of God that he cannot change. We don't look at anybody and say, let them go. They're too far gone. And that's exactly what happens here. Jacob had already let Joseph go. He's dead. He's too far gone, right? He's dead. But God has done something miraculous. God has kept Joseph alive. And not as he kept him alive, he's put him in a place of influence. He's not only put him in a place of influence, he's put him in a place where he can keep his brothers alive now. And they come to Egypt. Come on. Jacob's heart is numb. He did not believe him. But when they told him all the words of Joseph, which he had said to them, when, they, when he saw all the wagons, the limousine, and the other things that he brought back to carry him, the spirit of their father Jacob revived. Could he possibly be true? Could it be true? And he said, Israel said, Israel, of course, Jacob's name God gave to him, it is enough. Joseph, my son, is alive, still alive. I will go and see him before I die. Now, Jacob has now believed them. They told the whole story. Surely Joseph told them the whole story. How did you get here, right? And so Joseph, as they talked amongst themselves, as it says, just a simple verse was probably a couple hours. Let me tell you how this worked out. Sold to the Midians, sold to Potiphar's family, da-da-da-da-da-da. Gave them the whole story. They give it to the father. The father says, I can't believe it. This is true. Let's go see him. But what is also true is Jacob, Israel, is also scared about this. Look at the next verse. So Israel took his journey with all that he had and came to Beersheba and offered sacrifices to God, the God of his father, Isaac. So Jacob goes to Beersheba, this homeland, right? We have discussed this all along that the land is tied to the promise, and that promise is where God has chosen to bless, right? So that's the blessing at this point. So that land is there as the blessing. And what we have seen is anytime you go outside of that land, you got trouble, right? We've seen that. So you go outside of the blessing of God, you have trouble. So you go outside of it, you got trouble. You find a wife from outside of that land, you, 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 in other words, you got trouble if you leave it. And we've talked about that before. Who knows that better than, than Jacob himself? He left it, and what did he have? Trouble. He worked for Laban for 20 years. He had to basically flee in the middle of the night to get out of it. Then he didn't go to where he was supposed to go. That didn't go well either. It was work until finally he got up, and God put him back where he was supposed to be in the land, and there he's been blessed. Jacob's now being told he's got to leave the land again. And so there's a little bit of fear here. Knowing this fear, he goes and worships God. Why worship God at this point? One, obviously, 
Jacob is thankful for the news he had heard. He gives worship out of thanksgiving for what he had heard and a recognition that it is God who is in control of all things. He also, in giving thanks, he is seeking, I believe here, to have some sense of forgiveness of sins, not just sins that he has committed, but some that he may commit. There's some sense in which he is... In, in this giving of worship, looking to what he's about to do, saying, Lord, if you don't go with me, I don't need to go. If I'm going out of the land, he's not leaving out of the land like he did last time um, in the middle of the night with nothing, nothing to claim, trying to sneak out. He's not leaving that way this time. He's leaving this time for a purpose and a reason, and he's seeking God's blessing in the leaving, giving thanks for the news he had had and ultimately seeking God's mind in this. So he worships there. And as he does this, God comes to Israel again. He has visions in the night and says, Jacob, Jacob, he calls him by name, and he said, Here I am. Then he said, I am God, the God of your fathers. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt. Now these are important words to Jacob. Don't fear, you can go. He, he didn't want to leave. He saw that tying of the blessing to the land, so he didn't want to leave. But God says, do not be afraid. You can go down to Egypt, for there I will make a promise for you into a great nation. For I will make you into a great nation. I myself will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also bring you up again. And Joseph's hand shall be, close your eyes. In other words, even if he's leaving out of the promised land that he had given him, even if he's stepping out of that, what God is saying is, really, the blessing is not tied to the land. Hear me when I say this. The blessing is tied to God himself. In other words, I'm telling you, I'm going with you. Moses does this same thing. Y'all remember in Exodus 33, Moses is coming up and the, the fire by night is there, the pillar of cloud by day. You got this. And when God says it's time to go, y'all remember what Moses says? I'll go if you go. If you stay, I'll stay. If you go, I'll go. But I'm not going without you, right? And so who leads the people? They don't move throughout that wilderness wanderings. They don't move unless God moves first, right? And the presence of God is with them. Remember, God saves his people to dwell with his people. That's the purpose of it. He doesn't save us just to say, all right, you know, go have at it. He wants to be with us. There's no greater joy than that. And so God redeems his people out of Egypt. We're talking to y'all about it a little bit later. This will come next year about this time. But God redeems his people out of Egypt to be with his people. And his presence is seen by a pillar of fire by night and a pillar of cloud by day. So all they have to do is look out of their little tabernacles and look over their tents and they see that pillar of fire. They say, God is here. And they stay here where God is. If he moves, we go there. You see what I'm saying? So here, God is teaching Jacob a very important lesson. Where the blessing of God comes is not particularly in a land itself. It's in the presence of God. So where God goes, you go. And he may lead you in some places you're not looking for, but if he leads you there, that's exactly where you're supposed to be. Outside of that is where you have danger. Going where God has not called you or led you is where you're going to struggle. 
That happened to Jacob before, but not this time. God says, don't be afraid. I'm going with you into Egypt. And just as I go with you into Egypt, I'll bring you back to here. I'm going to take care of you. Don't be afraid. A lesson we must learn in our life, right? That the blessing of God is found in the presence of God. And that we go where God leads us. That's the best place for us to be. And so here, Moses, uh, Moses, see there, I'm, I'm skipping ahead to next spring. Here, Jacob is told by God himself, I'm going to take you there. I'm going to bring you home. It's okay. You can go. So there, Jacob got his word he was seeking. He leaves out from Beersheba. Sons of Israel carried Jacob, their father, their little ones, their wives, the wagons, the limousines, all the stuff. They took their livestock, their goods. They took everything. They're heading back. Um, Jacob, all his offspring, his sons, his sons' sons, is with him, daughters, all the family, all the children. All of them are heading back to Egypt. Now these are the names of the descendants of Israel who came into Egypt. So he's listing out the names here. You can read that for yourself because there's some good ones. He lists out the names here. Um, all of them, the sons that they have headed out. All the persons, verse 20, 26, all the persons belonging to Jacob who came into Egypt who were his own descendants, not including Jacob's sons' wives, were 66 persons in all. All the sons of Joseph who were born in Egypt were two. All the persons of the house of God who came into Egypt were 70. And so he gives them the sense of here's the number. This is what? I love how it does these numbers. Why? Because it's given us the understanding that God has not left anybody behind who is his. All of his people are here. They're all taken care of. It wasn't just a chosen little few. This is his people. All of them are present and here. God has not left them behind, but he's sustaining them, caring for them, protecting them. And so all of them are present. So they get to the land. You get this great scene at the end of chapter 46. He had sent Judah ahead of him to Joseph to show the way to him in Goshen. And they came into the land of Goshen. Then Joseph prepared his chariot, went up to meet Israel, his father in Goshen. He presented himself to him and fell on his neck, neck and wept on his neck a good while. Could you imagine? He thought he was dead. Joseph thought he would never see him again. And now he is reunited with his father. And it says he wept a good while. Ultimately, what we do know is this is the last reunion. It's emotional, rightly so. Joseph had kept asking about his father. If you remember back chapter 43, 45, last chapter we saw, go get my dad, go get my father. How was my father? How was my father? He keeps asking about it. When he meets the brothers, before they even know, he asks them, what about your father? And they're like, what are you? So he tells them, he's asking about it. Joseph has a love for his father. It's emotional, rightly so. There are tears being shed. And if y'all read this passage, how many times are there tears shed? A bunch. Now, I'm going to tell y'all, every once in a while, I'll shed a tear myself. And ultimately, I think the Bible teaches us something that oftentimes, I'm going to speak to us men sometimes, we think is beneath us or some side of other things. But if we truly believe that there are things to die for, then by all means, there are things to cry for. Amen? There are things to weep over in rejoicing. We weep in, uh, the Bible tells us we weep in lament. 
We weep in repentance. We reap in rejoicing. There is, as Ecclesiastes says, a time for everything, including crying. And if there's some things worth dying for, then we believe there's some things that are important enough to cry some tears over as well. And ultimately, we see this as a glory here, that these two have come together. And Joseph, in charge of all of it, weeps, hugging his father's neck in rejoicing, tears shed in rejoicing to be together. Think about Jacob for a minute. Cheated by his brother Esau. He cheated Esau. Esau cheated him. Ran away. Laban for 20 years. Cheated uh, for his wife out of his first wife and wages. Y'all know how that went. Never saw his mother again, who was his, he was a mama's boy. Um, Rachel, his wife, he worked for for 14 years, who he loved. First and foremost, Rachel died in childbirth when Benjamin, Joseph was lost. He thought he was dead for most of his life, but detained. Benjamin, they, they detained Simeon, and he, Benjamin is there. All of this, Jacob has had a, a time. But here now in Egypt, he is weeping, hugging his son's neck. Israel said to Joseph, now let me die since I have seen your face and know that you are still alive. In other words, I'm fulfilled. Joseph said to his brothers and to his father's household, I will go up and tell Pharaoh and will say to him, my brothers and my father's household who were in the land of Canaan had come to me. And the men are shepherds for they have been keepers of livestock and they have brought their flocks and their herds all, the, all that they have. When Pharaoh calls you and says, what is your occupation? You shall say your servants have been keepers of livestock from our youth even until now, both we and our fathers, in order that you may dwell in the land of Goshen. Now this is not a lie, but Joseph also has an ulterior motive. Because the next sign says this, for every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians. Joseph knows that if he, they say they're shepherds, now remember, Jacob was a master shepherd. That joker took the goats and the sheep that were mottled, coddled, and spottled. Y'all remember all that? I don't even know if that's right. And that joker kept getting them to reproduce. And he did that over and over again for Laban. Y'all remember? This guy knows what he's doing in the reproduction of sheep. And so he is a shepherd uh, by every estimation. And so Joseph, though, also recognizes that this isn't a time for you to talk about all your great accomplishments whenever you're told what you do. Just tell them you're a shepherd. And why? Because Egyptians don't like shepherds. And so the point in that is the Egyptians will send you away. Pharaoh will say, well, you're shepherds. Y'all go live down there, right? Y'all live away for us. Joseph is knowing this is going to keep his, his family out of the midst of Egypt, out in the midst of the Egyptians, and keep them separated from them and give them a place. By the way, Goshen is no shabby place. Goshen is down in the plains of the Nile. Goshen is at the peak, is rich land. It is the best of the land for them. So he's already picked out Goshen as his place. He already meets them down there. Pharaoh mentions it, got it under control. If we can get all of our people down here, keep the Egyptians way of us because we're just a bunch of lowly shepherds, we will prosper right here. We'll prosper. That's Joseph's motive here. That's what he's doing. That's what you do. So Joseph went to the land, told Pharaoh, my father and my brothers are with their flocks, their herds that possess, have come from the land of Canaan. They are now in the land of Goshen. 
And from among his brothers, he took five men and presented them to Pharaoh. Now, again, Joseph's point, let's go ahead and get them in negotiation. Let's don't bring them up here into, into Pharaoh's court. Let's get them down there. That way, they just, they just stay down there, right? He's working it out. By the way, I truly believe uh, uh, Joseph is the epitome of Romans 12, 11. Do not be slothful. Do not be lazy in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Joseph is not a slothful one. He is not a, a small-minded man. He's quite bright, quite smart, and he is serving the Lord in this, in zeal. So he does it. They go down. Pharaoh said to his brothers, What is your occupation? And he said to Pharaoh, Your servants are shepherds, as our fathers were. Then Pharaoh said, Well, we've come to sojourn in the land, for there is no pasture for your servants' flock, for the famine is severe in the land of Canaan. And now, please let your servants dwell in the land of Goshen. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Your father and your brothers have come to you. The land of Egypt is before you. Settle your father and your brothers in the best of the land. Let them settle in the land of Goshen. And if you know any able men among them, put them in charge of my livestock. So take care of all my stuff. You got it. Joseph brought in Jacob, his father, and his father stood before Pharaoh. Now here's a, a, an intense moment. Pharaoh thinks he's a god, right? Pharaoh, that's the nature of it. Pharaoh, very by nature to be Pharaoh, believes he's a god. That's what he does. And so he's ruling like that. He has direct communication with the gods of Egypt. He believes he's a god. And now here's Jacob, an old man who's been down the road. He's reprodu helped reproduce a lot of sheep. He's done a lot of stuff in his life. Y'all know how they, they work. Got a lot of common sense. He's also had a lot of life experience and all this thing. And now here's this foreigner, really, stepping into Egypt, standing before Pharaoh who thinks he's a god. And I love what it says next. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh. Doesn't that sound like a good, solid old man? You know what I'm saying? Not intimidated by the person in front of them. Not intimidated by his office. Not intimidated by who he is or what he's done. He just steps up in front of him and he blesses him. That idea of blessing is Jacob is offering the blessing of his God to Pharaoh. Jacob in the blessing is saying, my God is greater here, right? He jumps it and he says, my God is greater. He's offering blessing to Pharaoh. Not only is he going to do it once, that joker's going to do it twice. And so he says to Pharaoh, Pharaoh said to Jacob, how many are the days of years of your life? And Jacob said to Pharaoh, the days of the years of my sojourning are 130 years. Few and evil have been the days of the years of my life, and they have not attained to the days of the years of the life of my fathers and the days of their sojourning. Jacob uses a word here called sojourning. I think this is so helpful for us. In fact, this is the very word that the book of Hebrews uses for those who are believers in Christ, right? This world is not our home. The New Testament teaches us clearly that if you're a child of God, you are a stranger and a pilgrim. We are just simply sojourning through, looking for the day that we're brought home with the Lord Jesus Christ. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Everybody got what I'm saying? So here's Jacob who was in the land that God had promised. But now what is he doing? 
He is sojourning here like his fathers did. Think of Abraham who sojourned into the land, who traveled and who went there and found, and really never ultimately found that place that was finally and completely home, right? They had Bethel, they had a couple of, but man, they just seemed to be back and forth. Jacob's life, he's been back and forth, he's gone. Now it says he is so, he said, I've been sojourning all this time. He's given us this sense, the same sense that we believe that this world is not our home. We're just traveling through. And now I have just stepped into your land, right, in Egypt. I've sojourned my way here. But that does not mean God does not, is not in control. Because true blessing comes from the God of the scriptures, the God that he follows, the God of the promise. And our life is a pilgrimage. And in that sense, what it means for us is that time is short, we keep working, and we keep going, and we get ready finally to be with the Lord. That's what we do in life. We keep striving. We keep sojourning. We keep journeying through, longing for that day we can be with him. I like Psalm 90, right? Some people look at this, and they oftentimes say, you know, some of the songs we sing sometimes aren't the most biblically sound. You know what I'm saying? And so I've heard that before when people talk about I'll fly away. You know, what does that mean, I'll fly away? You know, yeah, what does that mean? I've told you all about my I'll fly away stories, haven't I? And people fussing about I'll fly away. Haven't I told you about that? You know, at one of them, I had this guy, we sang I'll fly away, and it was at, we were at this place, and I was preaching. And I didn't know this dude. Sometimes you go to some place and preaches, preaching, y'all see some stuff. One time, I'm going to tell you all this story because I, the, probably the third time I ever preached, I was sent out by North Greenville to preach at a church one weekend. And it was a youth weekend. And this girl got up to sing right before I preached. Now, I'm still trying to figure out how to preach. This girl, I, I don't know why I'm telling y'all a story other than it's funny. This girl got up to sing right before I was going to preach. And I looked at her, and the girl had three hickeys on her neck and saying, love can build a bridge by the judge <laughs> to the cassette tape with the judge singing with her. It was a trio. And I'm sitting there going, how in the world am I supposed to preach after that? You know, I'm just trying to figure this thing out. And old girls up here, I'm going, I, I feel like I got to say something, but I don't know these people. So anyway, I got that figured out. I had another one. We sang I'll Fly Away, and I was trying to get up there, and I was just singing away. You know, I'll fly away. We're fine. Guy got up. I might have told y'all this. Wait, I didn't. Guy got up and stopped the song mid-song and said, stop, stop. I just don't like it when we sing this song. And, you know, now I'm like, oh, God, what's about to happen? Guy said, we sing about just a few more weary days and then. We should be talking about how happy we are as Christians. So let's sing just a few more happy days in them. Of course, I got, you know how my mind works. I'm thinking of the Fonz or somebody else like that. <laughs> Opie Cuttingham. And I'm, I'm sitting there, and I'm thinking, I'm going, what in the world is this guy talking about? Happy days in them. I think weary is just the right word, right? Ask Jacob. Jacob is at 130 years old, and he's standing before Pharaoh, and Pharaoh says, how's your life been? Bad. <laughs> it ain't been a few. I've had a lot of days, and ain't many of them been good. 
I've had a lot of stuff, and ain't many of them been good, right? They've been few and bad. And, and I, I think about this Psalm, Psalm I think it's Psalm 90:10. I turn to it. We'll see if it's that way. Yeah, that's it. Psalm 90, verse 10. The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet the span is but toil and trouble. Y'all hear that? Listen to what he says next. They are soon gone, and we fly away. Huh? I don't know if that joker wrote, I'll fly away, and read Psalm 90 and 10, but he should have. You know what I mean? Because that's it. Just a few more weary days and then. And at the heart of what it means to be a sojourner through this life, it means that our time is short and the days are long and it's tough. We don't have a home here. We got no place really that we can find rest because this world is not our home. And so as we sojourn through this thing, these weary days, I'm, I'm, I'm tired. I'm fighting sin to my right. I'm fighting sin to my left. Y'all know what I'm talking about? And whenever I think I got sin in control, somebody's coming after me. Y'all know what I mean. We get tired and weary in this life, and we're longing for the day that we see the Lord again. That's exactly what Jacob said. I'm tired. I'm weary. But I'm here, and God is with me. And one day, I'll fly away, because that's Psalm 9010. I ain't even singing the song right now. And I'll be with him. That's what I'm ready for. Until that day, I keep fighting. I keep sojourning. I keep on this trail he's put me on. And what I find every step of this day is, Pharaoh, you think you somebody? My son, who I thought was dead, is running your whole country. And that's my God who's done that. That's my God who's done it. And so ultimately, that's, uh, that's what we hope for, right? To get through this weary life. Y'all can't tell me y'all not tired. You can't tell me. And the day we think we got it all in control, something else happens. Y'all know what I'm talking about. And the Lord doesn't promise us this world is going to be perfect. He doesn't promise it's going to be great and glorious. What he does promise us is this. He will never leave us or forsake us. Even when we have to journey up into Egypt, he's going to be with us. And just because we got a journey that far, what did he tell Jacob? I'll bring you back, son. I'll bring you back. I'll get you home again. And so for us, that's where the blessing of God is found, is in the journey with the Lord, not by ourselves. Not on our own, not in our desire, but our journey with him through this life. That's what Jacob figured out as he's standing before Pharaoh. And that's why Jacob said, I don't care who you think you are. I'll bless you in my God's name. Because my God is greater. And this whole testimony is here. That's what happens in verse 10. He blessed him first. Told him his days are short, been hard, but hey, God's with him. Blessed him again. Then Joseph settled his father and his brothers and gave them a possession in the land of Egypt in the best of the land. Y'all read that, underline that? Where in Egypt? In the best of the land. In the land of Ramses, as Pharaoh had commanded. And Joseph provided his father, his brothers, and all his father's household with food according to the number of their dependents. God had taken care of them. They were there. 
they were there. Ultimately, we see that the reason God is doing this, as J Joseph would say, is because, as God says, even back, if you look back to 46, I am God, he says this to Jacob in that vision, I'm God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid or go down to Egypt, for there I will make you into a great nation. The first promise given to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 was, I'll make you a great nation. I'll give you a land, going to make you a great nation, and I will bless you. And here, ultimately, as I've said before, I believe those three promises to Abraham become the outline of the Old Testament, the history here that we have. You have now, you see how God is going to make them into a great nation. He starts with one man, Abram, calls him out of the Ur of the Chaldeans. He can't even have kids with his wife. They're old. In fact, they're so old, they might as well be dead, is what the Bible said. But yet God still, when it's impossible thinking with man, God brings it about and they have a son named Isaac. And God brings Isaac and he sees him as the promise. And Isaac has two sons and we see Jacob is the one of the promise. And he comes along and God continues to bless. And that line is growing, right? Jacob then has 12 sons and he is going to establish this tribe. And that's exactly what we see. And God has taken care of them and brought them to Egypt. But we do not need to forget that how Genesis began in God's good design was for his people to dwell with him in a great and glorious paradise of a garden, right? And how Genesis is going to end is his people are sojourners in not many days that are hard and difficult in a land that is God-cursed, Egypt. Why? Because of the sins of the people. Because of sin. It began, God's good design was in a glorious paradise, his people dwelling with him there. And Genesis ends with them in a foreign land, in a foreign place. But we see the glory of God in this because even though they are in a foreign land and in a foreign place, even though God's good design was thwarted by sin itself and the rebellion that happened in the garden, God has not left his people. They're still there. He's still with them. And he hadn't forgotten any of them. In fact, he's counted every single little head they've got, and there's 70 of them right there in Goshen. He hasn't lost one. He hasn't forgotten them. They are still with him. And as they have moved along the way, God has blessed them, and the blessing of God has overflowed from them into the nations around them. God's blessing is so great. And now they're there in, in, in Egypt. You see Joseph... Even more so then, a lot of stories skip this next part in chapter 47. I'm almost done. Oh, it's 7.33. Hold on one second. No food in the land. Famine gets worse. Joseph starts wheeling and dealing. Again, the epitome of Romans 12. He's no lazy man. He's smart. He starts wheeling and dealing, and he gets everybody to give them all their money. Y'all give me the money. I'll give you some more stuff. Here, take our money. We're going to die. What good's our money? Gives everybody to give them the money. And then he gives everybody to give them all the livestock. Joseph is just making Pharaoh richer and richer and richer, right? Give us all your money, I'll give you some food. Give me all your livestock, I'll give you some food. And then he gets all of them to give them all their land. Give me all your land, I'll give you some food. Joseph has seized all of Egypt, except for Goshen because that's his people's. He seized all of Egypt for Pharaoh. 
Got all the livestock, got all the land, got all the food. He's got it all, right, for Pharaoh. And then he gets them to commit. Here's some seed. When y'all start growing some stuff, right, you got to give one-fifth of everything you grow into Pharaoh's plot. He sets Pharaoh up for a long time. The joker's smart. And all of that, Joseph uses his brain to do all of this to set Pharaoh up, makes it a law. You've got to give Pharaoh one-fifth of everything. And what does Pharaoh do? Nobody touch Joseph's people. Leave them alone. They are protected while I'm here, right? And so Joseph has wheeled and dealed his way to having his people safe in the land of Goshen, separated out from Egypt, protected and taken care of, even through all of this. Verse 27, Thus Israel settled in the land of Egypt, in the land of Goshen, and they gained possessions in it, and they were what? Fruitful and multiplied. Going straight back to the mandate of God in Genesis chapter 2. They were fruitful and multiplied. Where we'll pick this up next is we'll see those last couple chapters as, jo as Jacob blesses his sons. It'll be a good segue for us into Egypt. I mean, excuse me, into Exodus. They're already in Egypt. But in Exodus chapter 1, verse 7, we are 400 years later from this. And he says... But the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. In other words, the promise of God has been fulfilled in the people that they had become great. They had become great. Hopefully what we've seen so far in Genesis as we walk through this is again some of our key points in the text. The Bible is a story that has a main character who is God himself. He's the one working and operating on behalf of his people. He's the main character of all of this. And as this Bible runs through, it points us to who? Jesus, the one who ultimately will save his people, the one who is greater than Joseph. He'll be sold by his brothers, right? He'll be put to death by his brothers. They'll scream out, crucify him, put him to death. And through his being sold into that bondage and into that death, he will be raised again. So the Lord God will say, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And all the blessings that come to the people of God will be found in this one who has secured the salvation of them. And what will happen with Jesus? All the nations will come and bow down and be fed the bread of life. He's the greater Joseph. He's the greater Joseph. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness to us and your kindness for your word. Oh, it's so rich. God, help us to be people of your word. Help us just to fall in love with your word every single day. And thank you for Jesus who saves us from our sins. All for his name we pray. God, help us. In Jesus we ask. Amen.